Mr. Benfica is a production of the PTB Media Network. All rights reserved. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, CastBox, Overcast, Himalaya, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Breaker, and now available on iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and also on Audible for Amazon Prime subscribers. As always, select episodes available on YouTube and, of course, at www.mrbenfica.com. Please like, share, and rate the show on your preferred platform. Enjoy the show. Benfica Nation, welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinu, back with you here for another podcast. And, well, I guess I've avoided this long enough. Uh, I have to talk about this match. This has had me in somewhat of a bad mood all weekend, but I do have to talk about this match. Today we're talking about Benfica versus Portimonense. Last weekend at the Stadio de Luz, Benfica loses their first match in all competitions this season into of all teams to Porto Mones, as I call them, Porto B. That's right. It's amazing just how hard and how motivated they are to play against us versus some of their other opponents. However, we do know Paul Sergio is a good manager. He had the team well organized, well prepared. Benfica flying high coming into the match, as we know. And that's always a time where anybody is ripe for the picking. And we got dragged right back down to earth after being in the clouds, after beating Barcelona 3-0 just a few nights earlier. We'll talk about that game in just a few moments. But um, some other things to talk about today. Okay, Uh, Thank you to everyone who checked out episode 127. It's in the archive now. It's on the feed. Uh, Please check it out. It is a recap of everything involving the women's football team and their historic run so far in the UEFA Women's Champions League this season, plus plus their work up until now in the Liga BPI. Um, as you know, they, they are in action this weekend when the men are not because the men are on international duty. The men did play a training match um, 
earlier today, today being Friday, the 8th of October, at the Seychelles, a closed-door training match with essentially a second-choice squad with, you know, none of the internationals. Um, and according to Abala, uh, Befica lost 5-4 uh, to four in a, in a uh, training match with Ferenc. Um, PZ scored three goals in it, though. So <laughs> I guess that there is a... There is a silver lining, but again, this is our second squad, and I could tell by the lineup that Befica had to have played in a three in a three four three um, because it did say that the center that the the back line was compiled just in reading the the, the players that played. Um, El, uh, Elton Late was the goalkeeper. Uh, Diogo Gonçalves played as did Andre Almeida. Um, Ferru and Moratu, so I'm assuming those were the three central defenders, at least to start this one. And uh, Gilles Diaz also started, so I'm assuming he was at the left wing back. I could be wrong, but just judging by the names that were listed, that's what I would guess uh, went in. And then uh, Jer- uh, Jetson and... Um, uh, it's, exca- it's escaping me now who it was, but Jetson started in midfield alongside... Alongside Mete, uh, also playing was Everton, Sabolinha, um, Rodrigo Pinho, and my my mind is escaping me now. Who the other player was in the match? But just judging by the players that were on the pitch, um, of course, in these matches, there's not going to be any form. You're, you're using the majority of the players who have not played a lot of minutes recently, and you're playing against a Ferenc team that has got. That is most likely at full strength. And again, it's a training match. I'm sure they changed tactics around. I'm sure they tried different things. But in case you were wondering, that's what they have been up to this week during the during the um, international international break. Um, also, I just wanted to, to give a quick shout-out. I'll do this here. Uh, Portugal win the FIFA Futsal World Cup. And this was a very weird, uh, very weird experience for me and the reason I say that is because I had both Portugal versus Argentina and futsal on one screen and on my my big tv I had Benfica versus Portimones and literally the two matches in ended at the same time at least on my streams they ended at the same exact time so gutted to lose to Portimones and then at the same exact time, I'm not kidding, I got one eye on one screen, one on the other, and, you know, the clock ticks zero in the futsal match, Portugal are World Cup champions. What a performance from our former goalkeeper, Bebe. He was phenomenal. I had uh, shared a Instagram post in my story uh, from Canal Oz, talking about how uh, Bebe is has a day job now. Now that he's not at Benfica, he... He works during the day, okay? So he tr- he gets up in the morning, trains in the gym, and then works and then trains with his team at night. This isn't that uncommon in futsal in Portugal or anywhere else when you're outside one of the fully professional teams. I got some feedback from people that thought that this was a disgrace and that I shouldn't be celebrating because I said how much I respected his hustle and grind. People, understand, bebe is working in his family business, his parents' cafe, 
that he will own someday. He chose to work. Why was this something that that should be an embarrassment, a shame? It's it's a choice that the man made. And obviously he's smart and he's intelligent and he's thinking about past his playing days, which most professional athletes do not do. So again, I just want to use this platform to applaud Bebe. And again, he was he was an absolute monster in that World Cup uh, against Kazakhstan. I that, that might have been the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen in a futsal match. And he was just as good again against Argentina. And Portugal only win one. This is a familiar thing about Portugal, isn't it? Portugal win only one match in the knockout stages in regulation, which was, of course, the final against the defending world champion. The other three matches, the round of 16, the quarter in the semifinal against Serbia, Spain, and Kazakhstan, respectively, all went to extra time, and Kazakhstan went to penalties. Portugal persevere, lift the World Cup. Congratulations to Bruno Coelho, you know, one of our former athletes also. Congratulations to Fabio Silio. Uh He's also one of our athletes. And, you know, obviously, Ricardinho, who came from our club and is now playing elsewhere but um a lot of Benfica in that side a lot of Sporting too but I guess I'll congratulate them as well for now I know I'm going to go back to not liking them very soon uh guys like Eric and you know Pani played out of his mind he's even though he's a Sporting player I gotta recognize that <laughs> and uh yeah it was in Zeki the the pivot was, was also instrumental for Portugal so big shout out to to Portugal for winning that like I said it was it was kind of it was kind of like a counter uh what's the word anticlimactic is the word I'm talking about you envision winning a world cup and being excited but it literally happened at the same exact moment that Benfica lost this match that we're going to talk about today okay in the second part of the show today I'm going to recap last night's uh, presidential debate between Rui Costa and uh, Francisco Benitez. Okay, I took a lot of time to watch this. I took a lot of time to rewatch it. I, I've read a lot of the analysis, not the analysis, but the reports of it, the reviews. I've listened. I caught Benfica Independence review of it last night too. I had all, I had just learned um, the night before. I had just listened to. Francisco Benitez's interview on Befica Independent. I watched his interview on BTV, so I, I really tried to get a grasp for what this opposition candidate uh, was bringing to the table, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that at the end of the show. That'll be the final segment. I'll give my thoughts for those of you interested. If you're not interested, um, you know, you can obviously skip that part of the show at the end, but uh, of those of you that can... Uh, make sure you vote if you haven't already. By the time you hear this podcast, <laughs> election date might be over, but uh, make sure you vote. Regardless of who you vote for, make sure you vote. Um, it would be a real shame if if we had a very low turnout after last year's record turnout. And, um, I mean, there's, there's – I'm going to be honest. I'll, I'll probably get into this later. But, there, honestly, there is pros and cons to each of these candidates – and um, Benfica need to start learning how to get along with people that disagree with them. Um, I'm a little set off, a little turned off by a lot of the toxicity 
around the supporters in the club uh, towards those who may think differently than them. And it, it's it's not it's not a good image that I like to see for the club, but I'll, I'll give what I thought later in the episode. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break now, and we're going to get the news on the other side of this break, and then after that we'll talk Portimonense versus, uh, Benfica versus Portimonense, excuse me, from the Stadio de Luz. And this is Mr. Benfica. As you know, I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. You can follow the show at Benfica Mr. on Twitter. Let's get to 1,000 followers by the end of 2021, all right? Let's do this. We got 886 on my last check, so we're, we're, we're inching our way there. Let's get to 1,000 followers by the end of, of 2021. That's my, my goal. Um, also, follow my account as well, my Twitter. I'm not quite as active there. Um, you, but follow me at Mike Agustinho. That's M I K E A G O S T I N H O. Don't forget to check out the website www.mrbefica.com. I have the the table, the league table, all updated there. I've also got the in, the video for the entire match of the Women's Champions League Benfica versus Bayern Munich. You can watch the entire match, right? It's it is right on my uh, my homepage. Just go to www.mrbenfica.com. All right, and you can see it there. You can also find me on Instagram at Benf- at Mr. Benfica, excuse me. And um, you know, anytime you want, just drop me drop me a message if you have any feedback, um, if you have thoughts on the debate, or if you have thoughts on uh, the the candidates or how this campaign went. It was a short one, as you know, because it was only announced. Uh, several weeks ago that there would even be an election um and just in this in this international break in general if you want to drop a line on on what you think about the direction the club is going in both on the pitch and off just uh yeah drop me a line and uh i will uh i love interacting with you guys some of you i interact with very regularly and um you know if you ever want to say something i am I am all ears, so feel free to drop me a line uh, on on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, either at Befica Mister on Twitter or uh, at Mister Befica on Instagram. All right, let's take that break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Parking the Bus podcast here on the BTB. Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And in the news this week, we start with the juniors, the U19s, fresh off a 4 0 thumping of Barcelona in the UEFA Youth League. Benfica's U19s took to the pitch at the Seychelles last weekend to take on the bitter rival Sporting in an early season derby. And Benfica's U19s win 3-2 with goals from João Neves on a highlight reel bicycle kick in the first minute. Ugu Felix in the 59th minute and Ricardo March with the winner in the 76th. Also notable Google Felix received a what they call a white card for exemplary fair play in helping one of his teammates up um, after 
a incidental contact, I suppose, after they were got tangled in, and uh, he checked on his his opponent and helped his opponent up off of the pitch. And in a great display of fair play and sportsmanship, the referee showed Ugu Felix the white card. Um, this is an initiative, I believe, done in in Portugal. I don't know of it happening anywhere else, but it's the second or third time I have heard of this, uh, where a referee issues a white card. It is a good thing. <laughs> Benfica go joint atop of the table in Phase 1 of the U19 National Championship South section. Level on points right now with second place Alverca, and they both have 16 points. Benfica, however, have two matches in hand as their 16 points come from a total of six matches to Alverca's eight, and just about every other team in the section has eight matches played. Benfica next take to the pitch uh, at the U19 level on October the 16th at um, the aforementioned Alverca. Benfica B got back to their winning ways last Sunday at Seychelles with a 3-1 win over Grupo Desportivo de Chaves. And goals in this one came from Martin Neto, Enrique Araújo and Tomás Araújo. And these three goals lifted the Eagles to victory. Benfica B currently sitting third right now in the Liga 2, which is very, very good, with 14 points from seven matches, four points behind the leaders Ferenc and Level on points with second place Rio Ave. Enrique Araujo is the second top scorer right now in the Liga 2, the Liga 2. He is one goal behind the, the leader who is from Brazil Sport Club, Brazilian striker Heliardo. And uh, he'll have a chance to add to his tally, of course, in the next match. And But that won't be until October the 23rd. That's because of the international break. And on the back end of this international break is a TASA weekend. So the Liga 2 does shut down for the TASA weekend at this stage of the tournament. So Benfica will only return to the pitch. It'll be at the Seychelles again uh, on the 23rd of October. Like we said, hosting Academica. Now... For the modalidades this week, men's basketball after qualifying for the FIBA Europe Cup for, uh, for the second time in three seasons after winning their qualifying mini-tournament in the Netherlands last week, uh, new coach Noberto Alves seems to have a much improved side on his hands from the one we saw last year, and they opened up the LPB season with a convincing 96-57 win last week over Vitória Guimarães at the Pavilion Fidelidad. Betinho Gomes led the Eagles with 22 points in scoring and 7 rebounds. And he shot 4 for 5 from 3-point range. And next up for Benfica is Immortal on Sunday in a pregame interview. Uh, Arnett Halman, one of the Benfica's forwards, said that Immortal have the ability to challenge for a title this year. Women's basketball, on the other hand, flying right now uh, and firing on all on all cylinders, excuse me. Um, after having won the Super Cup, they have started their league season off with a 2-0 uh, record, a two-game win streak to start it off. Wins at Guimarães and at Quinta dos Lobos. And they are at home this weekend versus Associação Desportiva de Vagos. Men's hockey wins midweek during the holiday on October the 5th with a 4-1 win over Hockey Club de Braga. And... This weekend, the hockey team is away at Oliveirense in a rematch of last year's league 
uh, quarterfinal series in which Benfica won in five games, winning the series three games to two. Currently, Benfica sit in fourth place uh, in the standings for hockey with nine points. That That is four wins, one defeat behind Sporting Porto and Hockey de Barcelos, who all have, uh, who, excuse me, who lead them. Hockey de Barcelos has nine points like they do, and Sporting and Porto with 12 points. Women's hockey are in their preseason right now. They have not gotten started officially yet, but they won a preseason game uh, midweek 4-1 to over Spanish side uh, hockey club Liceo. Handball keeps flying after qualify, also qualifying for uh, Europe last week in, in a playoff round. This time they came to to their league, and it was a 38-27 win over ABC Braga, one of the historic handball clubs in Portugal. And next up is an away battle up north on Saturday against FC Gaia. Volleyball is the most successful of the modalidades in recent times at the club and this season has started off no different after winning the Super Cup over Sporting. This week uh, volleyball won their Champions League opener three sets to one in Estonia over Big Bank. Big Bak Tartu is the name of the club that they beat by scores of 26-24 excuse me 25-18 and 25-16. The lone set that was won by the Estonian side was 25-22. The league kicks off this weekend at the Pavilion de Luge. Games on or matches on both days. Uh, Saturday, it's against Club Kappa and Sunday against Font Bastardo. Men's futsal get ready to kick off the Liga Placard this Sunday. They're at home against Leões Porto Salvo. And again, I reiterate the congratulations to Portugal's uh, men's futsal national team in winning the FIFA Futsal World Cup for the first time ever. This is a huge accomplishment for Portugal. And right now, Portugal is in a, what's going to end up being a golden age uh, of all forms of football. Um, when we look back at this sometime from now, um, a, an era in which Portugal won championships in men's 11 versus 11 football, men's beach soccer, and men's futsal. Uh, no, we're, sorry, European Championships in all three and World Championships in beach soccer and in uh, now futsal. Women's futsal uh, win two games this week. They played twice, 6-0 over Shavs and 5-1 over Teboza. And that adds to earlier wins in the season over Goleria um, and a Super Cup win over Nun Alvarez in the, in the opener. The Aguias are joint top of the table with Sporting and with Nun Alvarez. Um, Nun Alvarez is a club out of Faf as they all sit top of the table right now with nine points. This week, the girls are away to Vermoin um, in the league. Rui Costa and Francisco Benitez took to the podiums Thursday night um, and it aired on BTV supposedly for free for everybody. I do know... Uh, some people did tell me in Portugal they did not get it. Um, they use the expression in Canal Aberto, an open channel, which means BTV was supposed to be free. Um, one person uh, did confirm to me that it was, in fact, free on on the Mayo service, M-E-O, Mayo. Uh, that provider, that cable provider or satellite provider did did air the the channel for free that day and they aired the debate for free. 
I did see, though, on Twitter others saying they were not getting access, that the channel was not running for free as advertised. There'll be more on the debate at the end of the show today. And that, my friends, is the news for this week. There'll be more next week as I will keep you up to date in all of the different sectors of the club, especially in the modalidades, who are often uh, overlooked. And it's it's a mission to keep up much better with them this season for me. I hope to keep everyone much more informed. But that's the news, like we said. So uh, we're going to take one more quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get right into Portimonis versus Benfica Liga Nage. Not Liga Nage, excuse me. i got to get used to saying this. Liga B-Win, Portugal. And uh, we'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica. So here we go, round eight, Liga Portugal B-Win, or is it Liga B-Win Portugal? I never remember the order of it, but uh, it is Liga Portugal B-Win, I think I mis, uh, misbranded it in the previous segment, but here we go, it is round eight, we're at the Stadio da Luz, and we've got my, maybe my least favorite of all the referees in Portugal in this one, uh, Fabio Verissimo. I, I don't think he's done a good job once with us. But uh, let's take a look here at the lineups, starting with the visitors, of course. Managed by Paul Sergio. Uh, he's got Samuel Portugal in goal for Portimonense. Fa- he changes his... his he changes his system from a 4-3-3 to a 5-3-2 in this match. He really studied Benfica well, um, and I think he figured out how to cancel the overloads that Benfica 
are so reliant on and are so successful working on the outsides. And it's by putting a line of five in the back end. And you have to give him credit on that end. It did work, and it was successful. Of course, a lot of luck was also used. He admitted himself that um, to say that this was a fair result would have been a lie. Uh, he's very proud of his team, and he doesn't want to devalue his team's you know, effort and performance, but he also recognizes that uh, they did have a bit of luck in this one. As Benfica played much better than the result, Obviously shows his line of five. The wide right back, the sorry right wing back is Fad Mouifi. Three center backs: Pedro Henrique, William, and Lucas Passignolo. Uh, the left back is Falicande. The three in midfield in front of them: Lucas Fernandes to the right, Pedro Sa in the center, and Carlinhos to the left. With two forwards in front of them: Fabricio on one side and Ailton Boamorte, the former. Isturil Praia, man, uh, now applying his trade at Portimonense ever since uh, 2019. He's known for being the nephew of former Portugal international Sporting, Arsenal, and West Ham, among others, uh, player Luiz Boamort. And um, he's had a nice career for himself as well as he has represented Isturil Cova da Piedad, uh, Salgueiros, and back to Isturil and now Portimonense. Uh, those are the 11 that uh, line up for for Portimonense. Jorge Jesus rolls out his normal 11. There's not much of a change here. Um, in fact, no changes from the team that we're getting used to seeing. Odi is the goalkeeper once again, the Greece international. The back three, Lucas Verissimo, Nicolas Otamendi, and Superjan Vertonghen. The only change in the only variable in this 11 is always the right wing back given the injury status of... Just about all of them. Uh, today it was, or I should say on the day, it was Gilberto getting the start as Diogo Gonçalves and Diogo Gonçalves and Valentino Lazaro makes room for Gilberto in this one. In um, To the inside of him, you have João Mario and Ulian Weigel, the usual um, center midfield pair that always seem to just do a, a good job Together and both of them seem to be better together than apart, if you will. Uh, and of course, the left wing back is Grimaldo. In the attack, you got Rafa down the right, Darwin down the left, and Roman Yarimchuk as the central striker. So, Befica come into this game very confident, as they should have been, and as I think we all were. Although, like I said, this is just a game. I was a little nervous about this for a little while. And as the game wore on without. Benfica scoring, I got more nervous about this. And, and this is a thing with this team, and at least for me, in the way I experience these matches, is the longer Benfica go without scoring, the harder it seems to to get. And um, it's just been, it's just, the pressure seems to mount a little bit. We're at the Stadio de Luz, uh, like we said, and the restrictions have been lifted on terms of, of attendance and, and match capacity. However, I don't think the the I don't think that the limits were raised in time to impact this game. I think the ticketing and the structure and just the operations of, of the of the match day were already set in place and, and they didn't roll out new tickets. I think they just went with what they expected. Uh there's a few more than fifty percent, but I don't think they made 
all I don't think they made 60,000 tickets available for this one. I could be wrong, but the attendance ends up being 38,845, nowhere near where it should be for a Benfica crowd. If that if there was 100% capacity allowed, there's no excuse for such a small crowd, especially on the heels of such a big win earlier in the week. But I'm assuming that uh I'm assuming that there wasn't a 100%. They didn't have the capability to go 100% in this match. That's just, I think it was too quick of a turnaround to make that happen. So the match kicks off. And again, the crowd is excited. Benfica look comfortable early. They look confident. And they get forward. In the first chance of the match, it takes a little while to get going. It's a little bit of a, of a slow start. Uh, you actually, you even get a yellow card to Roman Yarimchuk for a foul on, on Pedro Enrique. Early in the match, in the 11th minute, we move forward a little bit here. And going through the notes, not a lot of good chances in the early portion. It took a little while for Benfica to get going. And in the 21st, finally, a good opportunity as Roman Yarimchuk has a left-footed shot from the center of the box, saved in the bottom left corner. One of, like, seven big saves made by Samuel Portugal in this match. Uh, he had been set up by Grimaldo with a cross. It was a fantastic save. This was actually a really good scoring opportunity. I'm remembering it now. And Samuel was just fantastic on it. He did concede the corner with the save, but nothing comes of the corner. Um, moving ahead, and we get Darwin winning a free kick in the 26th. Nothing comes of it. In the 28th, an attempt missed by Darwin from very close range. It's a header as Rafa gets into space. Rafa has himself another uh, another pretty good matchup, uh, good match, excuse me, and he gets himself into good space here, going down the right, and he crosses for Darwin. Darwin should be confident after the match he had against Barcelona and scoring two goals and delivering that penalty with such confidence against Barcelona. But he tries to get this one. He just the the flick or the snap of the neck as he tries to hit head the ball into the goal. It just didn't come off, and he misses well wide. He just does not get enough of the ball on that one. And again, Befica squander a very, very good opportunity to go ahead. And I really think if any one of these opportunities go in and Befica take the lead at any point here, I think this game could have easily been a 3 or 4 nil match because I think uh, Portimones would have gone down. They would have dropped. They would have uh, been a lot more just... Uh, they just would have lost their spirit a bit. Uh, no, the way they defended and the way they came out, it was literally an all-or-nothing gamble in this one. And if they had fallen behind, I don't think there would have been a way back. Rafa gets hacked again, this time by Pedro Sá in the 30th. Uh, it is Casa Rafa, like, we sit, like I say all the time, hunting Rafa. In the 32nd, Ailton Boromorth gets the first opportunity of the game for the Algarve side. And it's a right-footed shot from outside the box. Saved in the top left corner by Odi Vlacodimos. And that was the warning shot. Benfica should have woken up at this one. And it's not that they didn't wake up. They were playing some some decent football. Okay. Benfica are doing everything except finish. And they do lack... what. If you want to make a criticism of this match, and I saw a lot of criticism throughout the Twitter sphere, throughout... And social media throughout, you know, any any avenue of, of communication. A lot of criticism that was unjust, okay? Again, there's a segment of the fan base that wants to turn all of this on Rui Costa, on, you know, just 
making this into something it's not, in my opinion. Okay, and just never missing an opportunity to throw dirt on someone's name. Okay, whatever you believe about the interim president, as I'm recording, he is the interim president. By this time tomorrow, it that might change. Um, that he'll either be the president or he won't be the president. The interim title, one way or another, is being dropped in about 24 hours. But whatever you feel about him, you know, the that all needs to be kept in perspective. And really, I feel a sense of the of the fan base, and it's not a large it's not a large um, it's not a large portion of the fan base, but there is a a faction within the fa- fan base that is just sitting around waiting for anything to go wrong and to blame it on those in charge of the club. Keeping things in focus, okay, Benfica combine well they combine a lot of passes they possess the ball they do all the things that the that the you know the analytics like they just don't finish goal but the one valid getting back to my original point the one valid criticism that i will accept and also agree with and and put forth is as the match wears on and as Benfica go longer without scoring the moment of decision also all of a sudden becomes a big factor, and Befica start to make poor decisions in the final moments. In the final third, when it's time to deliver that last ball, when it's time to play it in for a finish, and you can go right or you can go left, the players were deciding the wrong option each time. There were a lot of and there were a lot of times. They should have shot when they passed, should have passed and they shot, etc. Um, the decision-making was not good in this match. That, in the end, really, I think, undid Benfica. And this is something that would not have happened, I think, if one of these early opportunities goes in. The pressure's off and the thinking becomes clearer and easier. The game slows down for you. Here, as Portimonense continue to bunker down and continue to take you know their spaces and continue to cut off lanes... And continue to just get bodies behind the ball. A lot, of, most of the time, all eleven behind it, making it harder and harder. You know, Befica when when it's an instinct play, do well because they are higher level players. They are better trained. They are better athletes. They are better footballers. When it comes to instincts, they are better, and they they would go through it with relative ease. When it came time to make a decision, a human decision, a thought. You know, when it came time to think versus time to react, Benfica often got it wrong in this one. And it just continues as we get another opportunity, but this time it gets blocked in the 33rd. It's Grimaldo with a left-footed shot from outside the box. He was set up by Weigel. Weigel, who had one of his lesser performances in this one. Not the same high level we are used to seeing, but he also got yanked kind of early. I'll get to the substitutions. The players aren't the only ones, I think, that made some some poor decisions in this match. Uh, in the 34th, it's Weigel's turn to try to hit a right-footed shot from outside the box. It gets blocked as well. Just too many black-and-white striped jerseys in front of Benfica. They're not finding the space. They're not getting in behind enough, and they're shooting into people, into traffic, and it's not the ball's not making its way through. And when it does, well, like in the 34th minute, we get an out-of-this-world save from a goalkeeper that just refused to be beat on the day. In the 34th, Dromadiu delivers a beautiful cross to the far post, right onto the head 
of Nicholas Otamendi, and the captain uh, gets gets all of it. But it is saved by Samuel Portugal once again. He gets a hand up just in time to save it. That's not the first time that Otamendi would come close in this one. In the 36, it's another save for Samuel. This time it's Grimaldo left with a shot from outside the box. Samuel goes into the upper left corner and gets this one and saves it. Very, this was That was actually off a set piece after Rafa had been hacked one more time. By, this time by Lucas Pasignolo. And uh, Samuel just goes into the top corner and gets Grimaldo's free kick and puts it over for a corner. But if he go with another corner kick and another opportunity, João Mario delivers another good ball. This time, Super Jan gets a header on it, but it's saved in the top right corner. Jan Vertonghen gets a good header on it. The ball is going in the top right. These are balls that at least seven times out of ten, eight times out of ten, are going in. On this day, they just couldn't get these by Samuel. Portimonense get their opportunity a moment later, and it's Pedro Sá, left-footed shot from outside the box, and this was a bottom-left save from Odiseas of Lacodimos. He makes a very good save. Lucas Fernandes had set up Pedro Sá on that one. Uh, ensuing free kick results, I mean, suing corner kick, excuse me, results in a foul against Portimones and Befica are able to play out of the back once again. 40th minute, another attempt. This one was really the one that should have gone in. This is one that Rafa puts away on even, I've always said, Rafa reacting, just like I said a moment ago, he does so much better when he has to react than when he has to stop and think about it. He combines really well here with the Yadimchuk, and Yadimchuk is very, very good at combining with the other forwards. He he does this better than anyone else on the team. He makes the simple movements. He has the vision. He gets his body in the right position to then give the ball back to his teammate in in the one twos. There's nobody better on this team. Maybe nobody better in the Liga than Roman Yadimchuk at this particular facet of the game. And he combines well here, and then he puts Rafa in on break on a break. He's in alone, and he opts to go with the right-footed shot as Samuel manages to get a hand out and to save it. It was uh, it was just one that you could your eyes could fool you and think it was going in. Again, normally that decision beats the goalkeeper. On this day, it did not. Uh, a minute later. Uh, frustrated Darwin Nunez fouls Carlinhos and Darwin goes into the referee's book for a yellow card. Two minutes later, Nicolas Otamendi is fouled hard by a Yilton Boamort. Boamort goes into the book for a yellow card. 44th minute and it is Grimaldo with an opportunity. Another one. And it's from the center of the box. Saved once again in the top left corner. The ball just does not want to go in. Set up by Gilberto. Grimaldo again set up in the 44th, this time by Darwin. Right-footed shot, this time from outside the box, but it is blocked again. Just a wall of people every time Befica went to shoot. They were not able to find the spaces between them. João Mario has an opportunity missed in the 45th minute. Nicolas Otamendi finds him, he picks him out, and João Mario has a right-footed shot from outside the box, but it's just too high. That's at 45 plus 1. At 45 plus 2, another shot blocked. This was something Portimonense did very well and deserved credit for. 
is the amount of shots they were able to block and they were able to get bodies in front of in this match. 45th um, plus three, the referee Fabio Verissimo finally blows his whistle for halftime. And we get a substitution at halftime from Georges Jesus. On comes Gilles Diaz, of all people. Uh, Gilberto had himself a poor first half, no question about it. And he didn't seem right. So when you're out of right backs, I guess you go to a left back to play on the right. Um, he he knew, I think, that Andre Almeida cannot go 45 minutes at this stage. Nor does he offer uh, enough going forward to Benfica right now in order to be brought into a nil-nil match at that time. So Gilles Diaz is the choice, and he does fine, actually. Gilles comes in, and he does fine on down the right, even though he's a left-footed player. Um, when he played further up the pitch as an attacker, he played on the right, obviously, as an inverted winger. Here he's, I guess you could call him an inverted wingback, but he takes the place of Gilberto. And he made a few really good runs in this in this match, actually, Gilles did. Um, I actually, I, I really like this player. I think he should play more, to be honest. I think we should, we should rest uh, Grimaldo a bit more. We're running him a lot, and uh, I would hate to lose him for big matches. And I think the, I think Gil can really use the experience, and I think he's really capable of doing that job very, very well on the left side. Here he he fill, fills in on the right when there was no one else to do it. And I think he did he did a, a serviceable job. Um we get a we get a VAR decision in the fifty first as Rafa Yeah Rafa plays it through to Yaremchuk and the ball goes off of the post, off of Samuel and into the goal. Uh, the VAR brings it back, and, uh, and I knew right away. I looked at it live, and I thought it, it was going to be offside. When I saw it frozen, I had my doubts because, again, it all depends. These referees in this VAR and in this league, they change where where they draw the line, and they change what, sometimes. They're inconsistent as to what part of the attacker and what part of the defender they measure as the furthest point, um, depending on the angle. It looked like he could have been onside, but I, I knew immediately, knowing Fabio Verissimo, knowing our history with VAR, and knowing how long they look at our videos versus everyone else's, that this one was coming back. And surely it did... Um, they ruled, this is the part that makes me skeptical, and this is the part that makes it kind of, um, you know, lose some credibility for me, is when they put the measurement there, and well, I believe it was 31 centimeters or something like that, or 30 centimeters, and it was definitely, I've seen when it's been under 10 centimeters, and I've seen now 30, and there are the distance is not that different. There is not that much of a disparity in the distance in those two different measurements when you look at it, if that makes any sense. I mean, I don't trust those measurements, and while I do think he was probably a hair offside, not 30 centimeters. 
And I didn't agree with where they placed the line either when I looked at it at the time. But that's neither here nor there. That's the decision for them to make. As in the 52nd, it looked like Befica were going to get it again. And this time it is Otamendi with the header in the center of the box. But this one gets blocked. Rafa delivers a good cross to the Argentine's head. But it cannot find its way through the sea of Portimonense players. Portimonense give another warning shot. You can't say they didn't warn us. Uh, Odi was called on a few times. And uh, on this one, they missed the net. It is William, the center back, gets a header in the center of the box, and he misses just to the left uh, as this came off a set piece after a foul from Lucas Verissimo on Fabricio. And Lucas Fernandes delivers the set piece on to William and just misses to the left. Uh, another foul committed by Lucas Verissimo in the 55th. In the 55th, after that foul, Paulo Sergio brings on two substitutions. It's a double substitution. Willington Aponza replaces Fabricio, and Ivan Angulo replaces Ailton Boamort. And in the 56th, Yaremchuk uh, wins a free kick in the attacking half after he's fouled by Kandi. And... Benfica get nothing from it. A minute later, it's Gildias who gets who gets fouled on the right wing. This leads to an attempt uh, from outside the box. Rafa setting up, setting up Grimaldo and the left-footed shot from outside the box once again blocked. This is the story of the match, really. As much as Samuel was the figure of the match, the man of the match, um, and he made fantastic saves. You have to give the rest of the Portimonense side credit for all of these blocked shots. Uh, João Mario is, is fouled in the 59th. Carlinhos goes in the book for that foul. Uh, Lucas Passignolo with the foul in the 61st on Darwin Nunez. This is this is what they're starting to do now. They're starting to foul a lot. There's Jorge Jesus said anti-jogo, anti-football. But, you know, it's... This isn't the first team to do this. This is clearly the blueprint in the Portuguese league um, to attack the big teams. This is clearly part of the the strategy to beat the big teams or to at least take points off them. Benfica know that. I, I There's no sense in complaining about it. You knew that's what you were going to face. So, I mean, you have to work with that and you have to be able to overcome it. You know that the managers in this league are totally comfortable giving away the ball and staying organized, staying compact, and committing fouls, uh, going down, staying down when they have the ball to do anything to break up the rhythm and the momentum of the match. In the 63rd, we get a corner conceded by Lucas Verissimo. Um, At first, there was a corner conceded by Vertonghen. The ensuing corner gets conceded by Lucas Verissimo, and that's when it fell apart as Lucas Fernandes delivers a fantastic uh, ball from his corner on the left, uh, on on Portimonense's left, down by Fica's right, and he finds the head of Lucas Passignolo, and it's just the way that the, the cookie crumbled in this one. He finds the space between Odie's legs, and I saw... I saw the 
the Twitter, the Twitter sphere just explode. Everybody's all over Odie on this one. Odie has come up big so many times already this season in the first seven matches. But of course, it is the life of a goalkeeper. Once you you surrender a goal like this, yeah, a lot of people blaming Odie for not punching the for not catching the original cross. He parries it away, which forces it to be put out for a corner. And as a result, now Benfica behind with 25 minutes to play. Portimonense shock us, and I really couldn't believe it at this moment. As I, I, I really couldn't believe we surrendered a goal like this, especially on a set piece. We've been so good at defending them, and again, this is a time of just confused emotions because on the other screen, Portugal are are ahead. I think they. this is more or less around the time they went ahead 2-0 to Argentina. Pani had just scored the second one. And you can't really enjoy that when Befica are, are behind against Portimonense at home. And Jorge Jesus decides it's time to make some substitutions. So you look down the bench and you've got Pizzi. You've got Everton. You've got Rodrigo Pinho. You've got Gonzalo Ramos. You've got goal-scoring options. Jorge Jesus calls on Andre Almeida. And damn it, Adele Tarapt. Why? I lost my mind at this point. I had just been a very nice. I had complimented him in the last game, and I had said, I understand why he would use Tarapt against Barcelona. No justification for bringing Adele Tarapt into this match. For Ulian Weigel, of all people, and it, this is like Georges Zouge went back to his, you know, level one or level two license with this one. This He's playing club manager here. He's not managing an actual match. He's playing a simulation game. That's when you take the holding mid out and bring in a Tarapt. Immediately, a huge hole forms in the middle of the pitch for us. Immediately. When I look, and Tarapt is the one sitting in front of the back three. And he's looking around right to left. He's not sure where to go. He literally, every time the ball is is with Vertonghen or with Otamendi or with Verissimo, Tarapt makes this five-yard shuffle back and forth between two Portimonense players. He's not open at one end. He's not open at the other. He has no idea what movements to make in this situation. He should never be this far back the pitch. This match called for a million things. Adele Tarapto was not one of them. I'm sorry. Then, you know, almost immediately he, he loses the ball. He gives it away. And his pathetic attempt at trying to track back. He sprints about 5 or 10 meters, not even, and starts to pull up already. Starts to ease up and allows allows uh, Pedro Sá to run at our back three. Delta Rap does not know how to play this position. I don't care if we're losing. We cannot just throw all caution to the wind and make a huge hole in the middle of our center channel to allow the other team and invite them forward and to run at our, let's be honest, not pacey back three. Especially if they're running at Otamendi or Vertonghen, which, again, they have Benfica well scouted. That's exactly who they want to run at. 
this was I have listen, I have been very fair to Josh Jesus this season. When he does well, I point it out, I explain why he made the right decisions. Sometimes I explain away his less good decisions. There is no explaining Adel Tarapt in this in this situation. He thought that the, he was going to come on and make magic. Every time Adel Tarapt comes on, people get excited and think magic is going to happen. He may beat three, four players. He will not, in the end, produce anything from it. He's been on this team for how long now? Dare I say it again? One goal, two assists in all these matches. One goal, two assists. Lucas Ferissimo has more goals and assists than him. Gilberto has better stats than a Delta Rapt. This was horrible. There is no excuse. This was horrible. 78th minute. Lucas Fernandes, right-footed shot from outside the box, misses to the left. Befica are disorganized. They are all over the place. Uh, 79th, Gilles, Gilles uh, Diaz now playing on the left now that Andre Almeida has come on. And Andre Almeida had no business coming on either. I, If Grimaldo needs, needs a substitute, he was one of our best players. There's a real issue with Grimaldo's fitness here. Okay, there's an international break coming. Grimaldo does not play for Spain. He does not have an international career. You have to be able to gut it out when your team is losing. I don't care how much running he had to do, and he did plenty. You have to be able to gut out the last 15 minutes. Andre Almeida brought nothing to this team. He's not useful to this team in that role. His only use in this team, other than being a good locker room guy, and yes, I respect how hard he's worked to get back on the pitch, but in terms of actual productivity, in terms of actual usefulness, okay, he's very limited. He needs to, he he can only really be useful as a right center, a right center back in a back three. And that is in an emergency. In the 79th, Gildiash makes a nice run, like I said, down the left. But once again, he, he fires from outside the box, and once again, it is blocked. 79th minute, Lucas Ferissimo this time gets a header from close. João Mario delivers a good cross, but Lucas does not get good contact on this one, and the ball goes wide to the right. He knew it right away. The camera zoomed in on his face, and he knew he didn't get this one quite well. And then Samuel wastes time earning, you know, earning a chorus of boos and whistles from the crowd. In fact, he would get an even louder chorus of whistles when they were trying to do the post-game flash, and he couldn't hear the question <laughs> because they were they were whistling and booing him so loud. Um, he he wastes a ton of time here, and he finally goes in Verissimo's book, Fabio Verissimo, that is, in his book in the 80th. Um, in the in the eighty first, Joao Mario finds Adel Tarapt, and this is the one thing he did give us in this one: uh, right footed shot on his weak foot. He was left wide open, and Joao Mario delivered the ball on the ground to him at the top of the box. Uh, it goes just wide, and as as I I was watching, okay, and as I saw the ball coming to Adel Tarapt, I see it's lining up on his right foot, and I'm not confident, but. 
I'm saying, come on, Adele, make me eat my words. Please, just make me eat crow once, Adele. Just once. And he, he got close, but it was a little bit too high. 83rd minute, and this was the one. Again, it's Nicolas Otamendi. He worked so hard in this match uh, at both ends of the pitch. This is off a corner. The ball, the original corner is delivered, and I think it's Jan that gets a header to it. It, it might have been Lucas Verissimo. It gets blocked again. Squirts out to the left side of, or at least to Benfica's left, on the edge of the goal area, on the edge of the six-yard box. Okay, and it comes to Nicolas Otamendi. The goal is open because Samuel had come out to try to defend uh, the corner, and he was, you know, the deflection had beaten him, but it had gone wide to where Nicolas Otamendi is. Otamendi. Plays it with the, his right foot exactly like you're supposed to. Maybe he should have lifted it up. That's the only thing that maybe he could have done different. But again, had he lifted it and it hit the bar or went over or been headed off the line, we would have said off. Oh, he'd put it on the ground. It would have gone in. He goes for the ground, and it is cleared literally off the goal line by William. A, a fantastic block. Uh, it was so, so close to to being the equalizer. And I think if we equalize in the 83rd, I think there's a chance we could we could have still stolen all three points here because I think the pressure that it would have put Portimonense under would have been immense and the stadium would have erupted. 84th, another opportunity. Guess what? It's blocked. This time it's Lucas Verissimo's header. João Mario again delivering a good cross. And... The, the chances keep on coming in the 86th. It's a header from Rafa, but he heads it just too high. Heading not exactly his strong point, but a good run down the left from Darwin. That crosses it. Rafa gets on the end of it, but he puts it just too high. Finally, the kid gets a chance here in the 86th. JJ sends on Gonzalo Ramos for Lucas Verissimo. And now having Under Almeida on the pitch is useful as he slides into Lucas Verissimo's spot. Um, but again, <laughs> it's another opportunity and, um, squandered <laughs> in the 88th. We get another substitution. I think JJ left this too late and I don't even agree with this one. I think we're at the stage of this match in the final moments. Again, I don't care how tired somebody is when there's two, three minutes left to go. You have a target man in the box in Roman Yaremchuk that is, doing things you know you have to deliver balls into the box now you know you're going to have to cross and they're not going to necessarily be from good angles it makes no sense to take out a Roman Yadimchuk and replace him with an Everton moving Darwin to the center striker position and putting Everton out left obviously because Everton's not going to play as a lone striker Darwin is not very good in that role. Okay, that's not his game. He has not developed that aspect of his game yet. This is George Jesus just trying anything at this point, just throwing it on the wall and seeing what sticks. Again, this is playing football manager. This is just making moves on a computer and hoping that it leads to some sort of, you know, some sort of result. 
Uh, Gilles Diaz is taken down in the 89th in, by Willian. Yellow card to Willian. Nothing comes of the free kick, however. And we get a substitution in the 90th plus two. It is Philippe Relvesh replacing Lucas Fernandes for Portimonense. In the 90th plus three, it's Gonzalo Ramos with a right-footed shot inside the six-yard box. It's blocked. Once again, another blocked shot by Portimonense. And there was contact on this one. This looked like it could have been a penalty. I, okay, I understand it not being called. But this a very referee, this Fabio Verissimo, has given less. Has called a penalty for less for a certain Iranian striker that can find water in a desert to dive into. He's from the desert and he finds water even in the desert to dive into. Okay? This very referee has called less than this a penalty for other teams. This pisses me off. This really aggravates me. It's not that he didn't call it. It's that, I shouldn't say, it's not that it wasn't called. It's that he did not call it because I have, with my own eyes, seen him call a penalty for less. Not even a review. Had that been in our box, had that been our rivals, there would have been a review. Now, that said, you know, the Iranian striker did go in the book and get sent off this weekend for doing exactly that, looking for water in the desert, taking a dive. But uh, this referee would have given it to him. Not to our guy, obviously. And, uh, you know, again... It's just impossible to, it seems impossible to get a goal. We get a corner though, and Dromati delivers it. And it's a header from Darwin in the box. Guess what? Blocked. Otamendi with another opportunity in the 90th plus four. Blocked. Perhaps this is the one that was saved off the goal line. I thought it was the one in the 84th. It could have been this one in the 90th plus, plus four. Former Benfica Youth Academy product. Enrique Joku comes on for Ivan Angulu in the 90th plus 5. 90th plus 6, it's Gildir's left-footed shot from the center of the box at home. You know what's coming next. Blocked. And Fabio Verissimo blows his whistle for full-time at 90 plus 8. 90 plus 8. And the expression Elder Kondutu used right away was that we could be there all night. Could be there till midnight. And the ball was not going to go in on this day. It feels that way. It seems that way. Not enough scrutiny on on the potential penalty kick in my opinion on this referee. He's getting off scot-free. I really believe referees should have to... They should have to go in front of the press and answer questions just like managers and players do. Because there's, I want him to explain how this is not a penalty, but others that he have given are. I want him to explain why, when it's other circumstances where the VAR is there for five, six minutes, and when it's a potential penalty kick in our, in our favor, I don't think it took more than 30 seconds. I don't even know. I didn't even see the lance analizado. Or Lance Analis, the the play is under review 
on the screen like you normally see. I don't like it. I, I don't like this referee. I don't ever want to see him referee Benfica again. And you know we'll have him again at some point. All right, let's take a look at the goal point then. Portimonense win 1-0. Portimonense's team rating averaged 6.23. They got high ratings mostly for what they did on the defensive side of the ball. Their expected goals, the XG for Portimonense, 0.2. Yes, you heard me right, 0.2. They managed to, to get one. Samuel Portugal, 8.6, man of the match on on goal point. Uh, Moufi, 6.3. Lucas, uh, sorry, Lucas was a 6.5. Uh, Lucas Fernandes was a 6.1. William, 5.3. Pedro Sá, 7.2. Pedro, 6.9. Falicande, 6.2. Fabricio, 5.6. Ailton Boamort, 5.2. And Carlinhos, 5.1. Off the bench, Aponza, 4.9. Angulo, 4.9. Befica. Odi gets a 5.6. He didn't. He made a couple saves, but that goal definitely knocks that down. Gilberto, 5.7. Lucas Verissimo, 5.8. Otamendi with a very good 7.1. Rating at, same for Vertonghen, 7.1. Grimaldo is Benfica's highest rated player at 7.3. Yet JJ substituted him off and brought on Andrea Almeida. That one is not going to make sense to me unless he was injured. But even then, it should not be Andrea Almeida coming on. In these circumstances, I, I just I can't believe... I. I can believe what I saw here. Um, Joao Mario, 6.2. Weigel had a disappointing 5.7. Rafa, 6.6. Gilberto, 5.7. Uh, I think I already said that. Yaremchuk, 5.7. Darwin, 4.6. And to some of you, he sucks again. Um, I really had to mute a lot of people on Twitter. I'm not going to lie. Um, I'm giving a lot of people timeouts. <laughs> Uh, the the bipolar nature in which they view our players. How how someone can go from being good one day to being a flop the other to being world class to being in the in the eyes of or I should say in the sights of Manchester City and Barcelona and and Chelsea and then others who say he couldn't play for Casapia or he can't play. In the not even in the in the Strital. It, it's such a uh, there's such exaggeration all around when it comes to this team from some people. Oh, it's just it's a frustrating thing to to witness. Uh, Gilles Diaz six point six off the bench. He like I said he had a good game. Uh, Andre Almeida four point nine and Tarap somehow managed a five point oh. Um, I guess he only lost the ball three or four times instead of 24 times. I don't know. I don't know what what, what sometimes it, these ratings uh, leave some to be desired. Let's look at the stats. All right. And <laughs> we have shots 24 to 5 in favor of Benfica. Seven of them on, on goal. So seven saves for 
Samuel Portugal. Yes, that is a another place we can point, but it's misleading against misleading again because that means that 17 shots were not on goal. Of those 17, at least 10 were blocked. They were not bad misses. They were blocked. Actions in the opponent's area, the opponent's penalty area. I've never seen this statistic with a number this high. 55 actions in Portimonense's uh, penalty area by Befica to 5 for Portimonense. 13 corners for Benfica to 4. Benfica, 83% efficient on the pass, 71% efficient on the vertical. Each team had 7 defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. Another high number, higher than, I don't know the last time I saw a number this high in this statistic either. Uh, fouls committed, Portimonense, 22 fouls committed. Benfica had 14 of their own. 68 to 32 in terms of possession in favor of Befica. And just moving on and moving ahead, I mean, an absolute, just one sided match with the exception of what's on the score sheet, of course. A little more statistics Befica 411 accurate passes. That's a very high number as well. Um,. I'm looking for blocked shots. Here we go. Blocked. Benfica had. I was close. Eleven blocked shots. So seven on goal. Eleven blocked. That means six missed the goal. Sixteen shots from inside the box by Benfica. Not much else to say. I mean, that's. It, it is a difficult result to swallow, but it is the result. Let's take a look then at the table. Benfica are still top of the table, 21 points from eight matches, 19 goals for, five against, still the best attack in the league, and only one goal, uh, one goal below or one goal more than the best defense in the league, which currently belongs to Sporting. So Benfica 21, Porto have 20 points, they're second. Sporting have 20 points. They also they also have 20 points, I should say. Uh, but Porto have the head-to-head advantage right now, having drawn with goals on the road. Isturil are right now the sensation of the season, and they are in fourth place with 15 points from four matches. Portimones climbed to fifth, this team we played here. Uh, these three points uh, had them leapfrogging Braga, as Braga continued to drop points. Uh, speaking of Braga, they're sixth on 13 points, like we said, dropped points again this week. Their Minu rivals, Vitória Guimarães, are 7th with 10. They're starting to climb up. Uh, Pepa is uh, starting to get, I think, more out of his players. He's starting to know his team better. And they've had decent performances, and I think they're starting to get the results here. Uh, They have two wins right now. Picked up a win against another Minu side this past weekend, of course, Famalicão. Ninth place belongs to Gil Vicente right now with 9 points. Also with 9 points. Tondela in 10th and Passos Ferreira in 11th. Vizela, the promoted side, are 12th with 8 points. Maritimo, 13th with 7. Morirense also with 7. They're 14th. Santa Clara, let's talk Santa Clara for just about a minute here. Um, they're 15th right now. They're out of the drop zone. 6 points. They pick up a, uh, I believe they picked up a win. I'll run down the results in just a moment. Um, they 
lost their manager this week. Daniel Ramush resigned early in the week, saying it was uh, it was an offer that he couldn't too good to pass up. Daniel Ramush had an offer that was too good to pass up. And he leads you to believe that there's a great opportunity coming. And I'm wondering, oh, he must be going to, maybe he's going to Spain. Maybe he's getting a big team in Turkey or Greece, I'm thinking. Or in one of the smaller leagues, he's getting a, you know, a Champions League or a Europa League quality team. He's going to the Middle East. Daniel Ramos loses some credibility with me here. Yes, I know he's probably getting a huge wage and he's probably going to be set for life and he can take care of his family now. But if you're going to say it's too good to to pass up, make sure you mention it's the the money is what's too good to pass up, not the job, not the project, not the team, not the league that you're going to. Daniel Ramos jumps ship after Santa Clara bow out of Europe and struggle to get out of the relegation zone. They are out of it now, for now. And he says, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. And he goes to the Middle East for the almighty petrodollar. Oroca now in 16th in the relegation playoff spot. They have five points. Bulanish Saad are in 17th. Code City have four points. And Family Cone continue to be at the bottom of the table with just three points. Um, yeah, it's it's. I got a little maybe I I got a little too emotional there, or a little too uh, almost took personally that Daniel Ramos left Santa Clara to go to the Middle East. I mean, that's it's it. it I I don't even have the words for it. I mean. The money, the oil money in this in this sport right now is starting to get to be too much, and you know the news obviously yesterday of Newcastle United in England being purchased by. You can say what you want. You can call it whatever you want. It was purchased by the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It was not, yeah, private investment fund. Okay of which is chaired by the crown prince himself. I don't like the direction our game is going. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't. I'm nervous about what the next 10, 15 years are going to look like, what the game's going to look like in 10 or 15 years. We're talking about World Cups every two years. We're talking about <laughs> implementing stop clocks you know, keeping official time on a clock, not on the referee. We're talking about all of these things I thought were out of my life because these were all the things Major League Soccer wanted implemented into the global game 20 years ago when it started. And I thought I'd never have to hear those things again. And now it's European and it's it's world football talking about it. We got still talk of Super League everywhere. I don't like this. I really am nervous as, uh, that we're going to lose this game at some point in my lifetime. Um, that it's going to be unrecognizable, and um, hopefully, I'm being you know over dramatic about it. But uh, I am very anxious about what is ahead for the game of football, the game I love so much. 
So the results in round eight will go around the league real quickly. Maritimu Moreres nil nil on October the first. Fumlikau one, Vitoria Gimenez two, Vizela one, Santa Clara one. So it was not a win; it was a draw that pulled Santa Clara out of the relegation zone before Daniel Rums ran after the almighty Petrodollar. Porto get lucky and come from behind to win two to one, and Sporting also score late to win two to one over Oroca. Sunday's matches, Bisad, where was their home? Where was their home pitch this week? This, they're a team that literally has their house on their back, and they they're a vagabond team now. They were in Leiria once again at the Magalhães Soa. They lose two nil to Tondela. Mefica, as we know, lose one nil at home to Portimonense. Istoril two, Gil Vicente two, and Braga two, Boavista two. So next uh, rounds fixtures, not until the weekend of the 22nd and the 23rd because next weekend after the international break we have uh we have the third round of the taça and every team in the liga portugal is or the liga b win first division whatever you want to call it is involved in this round of the taça but when we come back on friday october the 22nd vitoria guimarães host maritimo at the dom alfonso Enrique, santa clara host famalicão tondela host porto Sporting host Morirense. And then on Sunday, October the 24th, Passage Ferreira host Oroca. Our Benfica will travel up north to Vizela. And we will play the promoted side. In We played there a couple seasons ago in the Tasa. And now they have a remodeled stadium that is ready uh, for, our, for us, for our rival. Expect a huge, huge pro Benfica crowd in that one. And then Portimones hosts Istriel in the late one that day. Then two games on Monday because this is Liga Na, this is Liga B win. Gil Vicente hosts Braga in their usual Monday spot. Of course, Braga is playing in the Europa League. I think the Europa League is preceding uh, these matches, and that's why it's a Monday match. But it's another Minu derby: Gil Vicente versus Braga, and then Boavista hosts Bisad at the Besa. All right, leading goal scorers as they stand right now. It is Porto's Luis Diaz in the lead with six goals. Gil Vicente's friend Navarro has five. And then we have a whole host of players. We have eight players with four goals. I'm not going to read them all. That's where we stand right now in the Liga B-Win Portugal. Or the Liga Portugal B-Win. However you want to say it. I'll get it right one of these days. Okay, we're going to take... Our final break here, and on the other side, I will give my thoughts on yesterday's debate. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be Saturday, um, so I guess today's election, I'll give my thoughts. I won't be too long. There's not too much to say. Um, it was not much of a debate, let's be honest, but I'll talk about it on the other side. This is Mr. Befica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Follow me. On Twitter, at Mike Agostinho, that's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And follow the show, at Benfica Mister, at uh, Benfica Mister, like I just said. And also, check out www.MrBenfica.com. And again, you can watch the entire, entire Women's Champions League opener, Benfica versus Bayern Munich from the Seychelles earlier this week. I've got the entire video of the match. For as long as the zone keeps it on YouTube, it will be on my page, and you can watch it there and uh, enjoy the match. Okay, we'll be right back, 
and we'll talk about the debate. Welcome back to the final segment of this episode 128 of Mr. Benfica. Quick programming note, uh, episode 129 will be on the way very soon. Uh, it'll come to you this weekend, either most likely sometime Sunday if and Monday the latest. I'm going to review uh, I'm going to review tomorrow or at least recap tomorrow's uh, women's match between Befica and Maritimo on the island on Madeira. And then I will I will uh, react to the results of the election, assuming we know the final results. I think we will. Um, and that election is, you know, the segue into this segment. We're going to talk about the debate. Now, I'm going to start by saying I was fairly disappointed with this debate um i remember right away this reminded me way too much of a political debate okay and let me be honest with everybody i absolutely hate is not a strong enough word i abhor politics it brings out the worst in people it brings out the absolute worst in people i hate election years i understand they're important. I understand they're necessary. Yes, I I believe democracy is the best system we have, but it's far from a perfect system. But the way people get wrapped up into it and the, the monsters it turns everybody into, I just I I don't want to talk to anybody during these periods. And again, I was on Twitter talking to a few of you yesterday, but I had to mute half of my my follows half of the people on my timeline i had to mute them because it was nothing but insults being hurled back and forth back and forth and it just reminds me of a political election and it was it's nasty between the two different ideologies we have in this club and again like in most elections okay and again, I hate politics, but I understand politics much more than maybe I let on because I hate to talk about it. I don't like, I don't like it at all. I think it's it, it, lifelong politicians 
to me, are maybe the worst form of people on this earth. They have the most potential and they do the least with it. And just about, I won't say all, but too many of them become far too corrupt. And the same is true in football. And unfortunately, it is the loud people on the two extremes that make all the noise. When I think the majority of people don't get into the noise, they fall somewhere in the middle, and they're trying to listen and trying to figure out what the best option is. I put out a tweet asking, um, I just said I'd be interested to get any undecided voters' opinion on points that the candidates were making. Few of you said, "Are you kidding? This is Twitter. Nobody's undecided, and it's true." And I had some good conversations with some good with some re- good level-headed people. All right, and I I enjoyed the conversations I had with good level-headed people yesterday. Okay, um, I did. I enjoyed a lot of those conversations, and you know. <sighs> It was the ones I was not having conversations with. And I'm telling you, they're not even listening to anything either one of these candidates is saying. The minds were made up. No, this debate was not a waste of time. Yes, it was absolutely necessary and essential. It had to happen because it should have been happening all along. It's an embarrassment that it took 20 years or whatever to get a presidential debate for the biggest club in Portugal by far and one of the biggest in the world. Unfortunately, this it's just there are people that cannot accept other people's opinions, okay? And this was very difficult for me to to sift through while trying to get people's well thought out opinions okay um i thought the guys at benfica independent okay uh nun picard and baquero Felipe english did a phenomenal job after the debate and it was late it was 11:30 p.m. their time 6:30 here for me as i watched live and along with about 560 other people and uh, I thought they did such a good job breaking this down point by point, point by point. I'm not going to do that here tonight, okay? Um, I, my voice is starting to, to get raspy. And again, I haven't felt well this week, so I'm I'm get back on my feet. I'm feeling better, but my voice is still recovering. Um, and I've been talking for over an hour now. Um, but, but... I'm not going to go through point by point. I'm just going to going to give you my reaction, my thoughts, um, what I still remember 24 hours later, because that's important. Because what 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 impression did it leave? Other than the fact that uh, a lot of fans just cannot state their opinion without hurling personal insults at the people who disagree with them. It, it is it is very, very frustrating to try to have level-headed conversations about these things. And this is why we have the world we have and the society we have. Sport clearly mimics society. This club is a microcosm of the world right now. 
and you have loud extremes making a lot of noise, while level-headed, thoughtful ideas in the middle somewhere are getting drowned out. I do understand it's it comes from a place of passion, and I do believe that both extremes in this case want what's best for the club. You know my policy. I do not endorse any candidate because I think that's dishonest, and I think that that puts... That creates a conflict of interest and that turns me into a propaganda arm. And that's everything I set out not to be. Okay. And um, especially in terms of telling Saucius where to vote or who to vote for. For full disclosure, okay, um, I am Saucius now. Okay. I am. <laughs> that's my full disclosure. Um, okay. I became a Saucius in the last 12 months. Okay, I don't believe I don't believe I'm eligible to vote in this one because it hasn't been in a full year. Uh, I was not sauce you last year. Okay, and um, I did become one after the last election, saying that I wasn't going to sit any more of these out. And um, just to be upfront, okay, uh, I honestly am. My thoughts on the two candidates, okay? It, it is hard to look at Rui Costa as someone other than the player I grew up idolizing. And I'm, I am doing my best to, to remove that, okay? This is a different role. This, asks, this calls for different skills. This calls for a different, you know, set of ideals, even. I really was interested to get to know more about Francisco Benitez because it's not well publicized. Okay, this this was thrown together very quickly. If you want to know, I am Saucu two six eight eight four five. Okay, just for full disclosure. Um, I was I came into this debate hopeful because I wanted to hear what both of them had to say. I wanted to hear what ideas they had they had. For how to improve this club. I didn't want to hear bickering and accusations. I know there is an elephant in the room. So Benitez comes out of the gate. You know. Obviously he's going to talk about the past president. And Rui Costa's connections to him. There, that, that had. I'm glad it got out of the way early. But Rui Costa was, was clearly prepped for this. By most likely people that would have prepped. You know, public relations people, specialists, um, who knew probably all of the attacks that, that, or I shouldn't say attacks, that's a harsh word, but they did become attacks. But the strong points that uh, Benitez made, this didn't get na as nasty as it could have. I will admit this this did stay re reasonably civil. But there was a lot of underhanded, or I should say backhanded and passive-aggressive insults thrown okay rather than sticking to issues and and where they stand on how to fix them okay the moderator was Luis Costa Brunk from BTV he had a hard job um I think he kept it from turning into Trump versus Clinton <laughs> to be honest it, it didn't turn into a boxing match so he gets credit for that Rui Costa spoke for about seven minutes more. That's, you know, kind of on the moderator. But again, 
Um, these that maybe one of the hardest things to do is to moderate a debate like this on television, no less live. There was no crowd, or, or it would have been even worse. I can't even imagine if they did this in front of a studio audience. I cannot even imagine. I think there would have been fights right in the studio. I I do believe that there there could have been violence if if supporters of the two sides were in too close proximity to each other. Um, so I thought the moderating, you know, the mo- he did as well as he could. Now he has a background in news. He's not just a BTV reporter. He he works for one of the other stations as well as a news source. And actually, I will tell you which one right now, just again for transparency's purpose. Uh, I'm pulling up his Instagram page right now. I think he lists it here. Oh, he just says journalista. Okay, so he says he just says he's a journalist, but I think I can't remember which Portuguese he's worked for Seek Noticias before. Um, he obviously works for BTV. He's been at BTV ever since I've had BTV, but even before that, I remember him at one of the other networks. I don't remember if it was RTP. I don't remember if it was if it was TVE. Like I said, he's worked at Seek uh, Seek Noticias, so. Uh, he has a long career behind him. Okay, he's an experienced journalist, a true journalist. So, I think the club or BTV, whoever made the decision that he was going to moderate, made the right decision there. He he was the right person to sit between these two guys and to ask the right questions. That said, Rui Costa did get a lot more time to talk. Benitez did not make the most of his opportunities. Okay, but then again. I really have a problem with people paying more attention to the fact that Benitez is ruffling through papers looking at notes than the fact, or I should say, than the content of what he's saying, the, the substance to his, his viewpoints and to his ideas. When you cast your ballot tomorrow, and this is, this is a problem people make in, in, in political elections in, in local elections in civic elections in club elections whatever fraternal elections in whatever organization you are part of and you have to be elected to something um when we still had here in the United States we used to have an organization called the Portuguese American Coaches uh, Soccer Coaches Association PASCA P A S C A Portuguese American Soccer Coaches Association I was unanimously elected as the tr- the fu- the treasurer two years before we had to be disbanded by the National Coaches Association because we didn't fit the criteria or something. But regardless, and honestly, <laughs> people s- pick who they vote for based on their public speaking ability, which in my opinion is practically irrelevant to the job that you are picking them to do okay yes you got to be a good speaker but honestly again i live in the united states and this i'm not gonna this has nothing to do with my political opinion okay or my viewpoints but the president of the united states is a terrible speaker clearly that didn't stop his people from voting from him okay but most cases, the better speaker wins. 
and it's not a speaking job. Speaking is part of the job, but it is not a speaking job. That's not the bread and butter of the job, especially when it comes to running a sports club, not a football club. Again, another thing I'm really bothered by here that's come out of this is the emphasis on the football team. I know that's where the money comes in and out of. I understand that. But this is Sport Lisboa Benfica. It is not Football Lisboa e Benfica. Okay? There are hundreds of athletes under our banners in all levels and of all abilities, to be honest. There are questions of what is the equivalent to an Olympic training center, a high-performance training center that the club, both sides of this debate, believe needs to be built. There are athletes in a wide array of sports, okay? There are supporters for all these sports. This is a club. This is not a team. And the focus is very heavy on male football players, okay? And when convenient, they use the other sports to back a point. Okay, so that is the first thing that gets to me a little bit is that 75% of the people that vote are voting solely on the performance of the football team on the pitch because I'm going to tell you right now Rui Costa is going to win this election in a landslide and I'm not a rocket scientist everyone pretty much has conceded that if Benfica's men's football team we're not in the Champions League. We're in fifth place right now. Ten points behind Porto. It doesn't matter what any other teams are doing in the club. It doesn't matter if the books are good. It doesn't matter if nothing else within the club would matter. Rui Costa would, would lose to anybody tomorrow if that were the case. I don't think that's the best way to select people to run the entire club. I think Benitez has good ideas and he's not good at delivering them. I think Benitez made mistakes in this debate, especially bringing up the João Felix transfer. That was a huge mistake. That made him look like a fool. Even though I understood what he was trying to say, and I even agree with the point he was trying to make. The examples he used, the example was not good. We sell too many of our youth players. Yes, we, sell, we undersell too many of our youth players is what I mean to say. That's where the point should have been. Players that could be in our B team. Players that could have late bloomers. That could come through in a year or two. We let go because the coach today doesn't like them. He made a good point, and Rui Costa did a good job to deflect it. Okay, he wants a philo- a club philosophy, un stil jug. Okay, he used the wrong word. This was the problem. He called it. He used the term profil jug. They playing profile, the game profile, or better, that's a poor translation, that's how it directly translates, better say a system of play, okay, or a philosophy is really what he means, should be set by the club, and then a manager that fits it, and Rui Costa intelligently said, oh, so you're also gonna, you know, says, so you as president are also gonna set the, you know, 
the system of play on the pitch. That's not what he meant. I think what he meant is the club needs it needs an identity, and a manager needs to work within that for the long-term health of the club. And I said this, okay, he's made points, and listen, I'm not saying to go vote for him, okay? I'm not endorsing, but he has made points I have made on this very show over the course of the last 127 episodes at one time or another. Benitez said that the club needs, in a, or he tried to say that the club needs an identity and the coach needs to work within that. I agree with that because... We can't change our system of play. We can't change our ideology, our philosophy. Every time we get a new first team manager, we have a pyramid. The first team is at the top. The youth teams are, you know, down the down the chain. For years, with this manager, who I am not putting in question, by the way. Again, I think I have been very, very fair to... JJ this season. In his first stint as our manager, okay, and I understand his job is also to, to win. It is not to integrate young players into the system. But there was a huge problem. There was a huge disconnect. We were raising youth teams from ages, what, 6 to 20, right? Let's just say, to make numbers easy, 6 to 19 years old. To play a certain way in a certain system, if you want to keep it about football. But this this actually is transparent in every sport. This point is something that should be the club should implement in every sport. With the people responsible for each individual sport, of course. A system of play, an identity, a philosophy needs to be developed. I agree with that. At that time, under George Azuja's first stint, okay, our youth teams were playing one game, and our first team was playing a completely different game. What happened is when JJ left, Rui Vitalia came in and was told, now you got to get with the system. The last guy got to do whatever you wanted. he wanted to do. You don't get that privilege. You're not George Azuz. You don't have his CV. You didn't win us, you know, two titles. At least he hadn't yet. Um, and Rui Vitoria said, okay. Okay. They told him, you're not getting money to get players like the last manager did. You're going to have to promote from within. And he said, okay. And he won two titles. Now. Again, being a results-oriented club in a results-oriented business, that model had to be abandoned. Okay, and I think it was prematurely abandoned. I don't. The problem I see in this club is it. In the last ten years, we have shifted between two extremes. Just like our fan bases are sitting on two extremes, we've been all or nothing in when it comes to the integration of academy players. There are going to be seasons where you don't have any academy players to promote. The idea that the previous president told Juivitaria and Brulage that every year X amount of players are going to come in is wrong. You're not going to have players. They don't just have to be talented. They have to also be ready. 
And you're not going to have that every single year. You could go two or three years with no one to promote. With the amount of teams, with a B team, with a U23 team, okay? There is a place to keep players, at least until they mature. And players don't mature at the same age. Not everyone, and very few, are João Félix. Not everyone is Ruben Dias, okay? The more common player is like Jadson, is like Tiago Dantes, is like Jota, okay? Is like Gonzalo Guedes even, who broke through early, but has had a rough time of it since, okay? It's rare to get a guy that goes from the B team into the first team, right into the 11 and makes a difference, okay? Those are once in a, you know, once in a, every couple season type of player. Uh, João Félix, Ruben Dias, Renato um, Sanchez. Okay, those three come to mind. Now, Gonçalo Ramos gets the... Ex- he's unfortunately getting that expectation. Okay. And you have to have a... There has to be continuity in the system if you want to promote from within. And unfortunately, the way the economics of the game of football are going, we're going to have to promote from within. I hate to break it to you. (laughs) This bubble's getting bigger. We are not going to be able to compete for transfers with teams, from with clubs from much bigger economies. How much longer do we think that we are going to be able to financially compete with big clubs from, say, the Turkish League? Okay, they are much bigger economic center uh, countries. Okay, much more population. Yes, we are a team with great supporters and many supporters around the world. That's something a lot of teams don't have. Imagine if every Benfica was a socio. We would have more financial power. But again, that's off the point. You look at teams as more and more billionaires, not millionaires, billionaires, are buying teams in other countries where they don't have to answer to Saucyush. Okay? And you could say that's great. Newcastle United just became the latest petrodollar uh, billionaire-owned team. In In five years, do you think we can realistically compete with Newcastle United for even our own youth players if we have one talented enough? It's not possible, okay? And these teams are not going away. They're not going to go under. There's so much money back in them. There's going to be more and more of them. There's going to be a new one every year, okay? And we will never be that, and that's good. I don't ever want to be that. Let me state that, okay? This club needs a philosophy, and I agree with what Benitez was trying to say. This may get me some heat from you guys. And I, listen, it's just my opinion. Just like each and every one of you have your own. You obviously, if you listen to me, you want to hear my opinion. My opinion is that he was right about this. Hui Koshla was very, very intelligent and very quick. And he quickly d- turned it right back on Benitez. And Benitez didn't know what to do. And he did this a couple times in the debate. But... We cannot change our identity every time we get a new manager. 
And I'm not talking about three four three versus four four two. No, I'm talking about do we you look at our rivals again, they have a clear identity. They have certain type of player. We are developing a certain type of player, but our first team is not necessarily in that image. I agree that I think there needs to be more continuity. I, The model of Ajax, I like Bayern. I love the way Bayern runs their club. I really think that the club's board and the club's staff, coaching staff included, should be visiting Bayern, learning from them, developing a good relationship with them. Rather than spending money competing with billionaires in a global market for South American players, for example, not just to single them out, okay? Rather than doing that, I think we would be much better served buying players from our own league or at least players with roots in our league from other teams, from our, from our direct rivals. Look at who some of the key players in this team are today. Okay? Diogo Salves is one of our homegrown players, but then we went and bought him back from where? From Famalicão. I think that the best player on Braga should always be a possibility to go to Benfica. The best player on Vitória Guimarães should always be a possibility to go to Benfica. Look at who our best signing was this offseason. João Mario, where did he come from? Not who owned him, but what team and what league was he playing in last year? Because you 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 accomplish two things, and Bayern does this better than anybody. You weaken your rival and strengthen yourself at the same time. Even the most hardened, fervent Sportingista deep down knows that by signing João Mario, we made them weaker and us stronger. It was a double whammy. Why can't, why can't, why have we never tried to force a buyout clause on a Porto player or a Sporting player? Like a, a, a Bruno Fernandes, okay, a Luis Diaz. Porto are giving players away. They cannot resign their players. They cannot compete financially. I'm not saying I want Tecatito Corona in our team, but why is someone like that not why are we not at least at least putting pressure on them? Making waving that carrot. Okay? I think would be beneficial. And these are players that know our league. They have quality. They have experience. They have experience in Europe. Remember, Otamendi brought so much to this team in terms of experience, in terms of fight. He brought a piece of what... How do I say this? He brought one of the advantages Porto has had on us for years and instantly reduced the gap. Okay, 
now they want to get physical. They got to answer to him. Okay. I'm not saying we're going to get one every year, but we should be making them afraid that if their players' contracts come close to the end, that Benfica is going to be there knocking on the door. And we're going to say, hey, look, look at Otamendi. Look at João Mario. Look how their careers have re- been reborn playing for us. That can be you. That can be you, Luis Diaz, if that's what we need. And that's the other thing we need to do. And I gotta, and, and I give Rui Costa credit in this realm. And he mentioned this, that he brought in seven signings this season that are all impact. What he meant by impact means they play. People were ridiculing this online, saying that Mete is not an Mete is an impact player in the context that he was using it. Mete is on the first team and playing because the point being made by Benitez was that Rui Costa signs a hundred players to loan away and who never play for Benfica. This was the philosophy of of Luis Felipe Vieira years ago, and we've reduced this over the years of just signing up. Player after player after player, and then loaning them out. Three to Fumalico, three to Stubal, you know, wherever. Uh, four to the to the championship. Two to Nottingham Forest. Two to uh, two to Wolves at the time. You know, whole city. You want one? That's that's how we were doing things. And because he was there, Hui Costa has to, you know, he has to shoulder the criticism of his former boss. It, it, it it's he was there. And he was the face being put at that time at the front of the football team. So, I think he made good points. The problem was he did, and he, I mean Benitez, he did not deliver them well. Hui Costa made a huge gaffe that was not capitalized on. He said that the previous president left for personal reasons. GTFO. He left in handcuffs, metaphorically and literally, practically. He, he, you know, was put under house arrest. He is going to show up tomorrow at the at the stadium to cast his vote. Why he was not banned from this club, I don't know. Well, I do know because his his. his <laughs> His staff is still in power, and I understand that's a lot of why people want Rui Costa out, regardless of what he says, regardless of what ideas he wants to implement, and regardless of what he's done in the last three months, which any fair person will say he's done well these three months, for the football team at least. Um, We don't really pay much attention to the other one, not to the details, okay? Um, And I feel for, for those athletes and for those coaches who's, you know, not being heard because as someone living in America and being very involved at t- for much of my life in football, you know, I we were always the back seat. Okay, I worked in programs where we were literally the last priority. There was basketball, there was ice hockey, American football, especially American football. The bo- the bulk of athletic budgets in schools in this country go to American football. Baseball gets their share. Basketball in this part of the United States, ice hockey. And then there's everybody else. And, you know, you're you're fighting for scraps with tennis and with uh, track and field and cross country. 
which is another sport I coached at the same time. Let that sink in. I coached two sports at the same time for almost a decade. Um, you know, you're, you're fighting with with volleyball. You're fighting with with sports, you know, for funding that, and it's scraps. So I empathize very much with the modalidades in that result. I have strong passion for the women's team. You You guys know that. You hear it from me. They need to get out of Tapadinha. This did not really get addressed, and it should have. They need to get out of the Tapadinha. Uh, Benitez said that he wa- that they belong at the Seychelles and not at the new, the new high performance center. I agree. There's good. Re- uh, someone made a good point to me. Um, oh, it was Dave uh, at Moondog X. I, I believe is his handle, and he made a good point that uh, maybe it's not a good idea to have the male athletes and female athletes in the same facility. That's a good idea. But you can build separate facilities on that campus. Okay? You can you can separate them. You can put distance between them for the safety of the athletes. I, I agree that, that especially with what's being uncovered here in the United States right now in the National Women's Soccer League, Okay, if you don't know, look it up. It, it is disgusting what has been allowed to transpire here. You don't want that at the club. You don't want that in society, much less at the club. So I understand that. and um, But I don't think that that's their, their motivation. Um, they're, maybe, they're, maybe the plan is to use the women's football team uh, as a... As a as a motivation to fans to get behind the project of a high-performance center. Not every fan likes the idea of developing athletes to world-class levels so that they can go compete for someone else after. Because in Portugal, you you know, Namias Keita is in the NBA now. You know, he's in camp with Sacramento. Benfica don't see a dime. And he came through Benfica's youth team. Okay. Um, Pablo Pichardo competes for Benfica but he competes for Red Bull. He competes for for Puma, I think. Maybe it's Nike, I don't remember exactly which which uh shoe company he also competes for. Okay, all the money is that he generates is not coming to Benfica for the most part. I get that. But the club is also a community. I wanted to hear these candidates talk about how they were going to generate revenue, how they were going to bring in money. The only one that said anything about the how was Rikosha talking about LED boards outside the stadium and inside, all redone for better advertising, you know, that you can maximize advertising possibilities. Benitez talked about parking cars at the Luge for the Metro during the week when there's no matches. Very, very weak idea. Um, Again, I said he had good ideas and he had weak ideas. Um, Almost like he was pulling at straws there. Um, But really, I wanted to hear how we were going to generate more investment. I want to hear whether or not we are trying to get into the Chinese market because that, that... speaks to my values and whether or not I want my club doing business with the Chinese government. 
Okay, I, I I have serious reservations. I know I don't want my club doing business with the Saudi Arabian government, for example. I don't want my club doing business with you know other entities necessarily. You know, neither one of them really talked about that. Okay, neither one of them talked about investment opportunities from the outside. The John Texters, the the whoever's you know, uh, we talk about the Saad. A little bit, but I think Benitez had a good point that he thinks that the women's team should be incorporated into the side. I said that a year and a half ago. So maybe, may, maybe Francisco Benitez is a fan of Mr. Benfica. Because <laughs> um, some of the things I've said about the philosophy of the club, about the implementation of, you know, systems of play implementation of the women's team in the sad and in ways to grow the mudlidad he said all he said a lot of the same things and he he is much more comfortable talking about the mudlidad i think that is his his stronger stronger forte he is an ex he played for the club as a rugby player okay so he comes from a much different reality than Rui Costa. The mistake that made him look really foolish was when he talked about the Jean Felix transfer again. He said as soon as Jean Felix had five or six matches in the first team and scored a few goals, that the club were shopping him around to big clubs. And this got put right down as soon as Rui Costa got his rebuttal. And he said, do you really think a player like that we had to shop a player like Jean Felix around? He goes, you don't think that the offers came in immediately. And I can tell you that they were getting offers for João Felix, most likely by the time he was 16 years old, 17 years old. When he was playing in the UEFA Youth League, I'm sure the offers were already coming in. This didn't look well on Benitez. Okay. Um Rikosta got better as 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 the debate went on. He uh, got more comfortable speaking. Twitter was going wild, saying he was dying for a cigarette break. It did look like that. He was sweating and he was kind of you know, bit, 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 you know, stumbling a little bit. But um, he did recover once once he got animated and once he, his he felt his benfiquismo was called into question. Which is where he's really strong at, at professing his Benfiquismo. I don't even think it was called into question. I think it was just a way to sort of, again, deflect attention away from some other things. But he told us all, you know, he reminded us that if Benfica, had, if it not for money, he'd never left Benfica. That was the first thing. Uh, Benitez points out that Nuno Gomes came back in 2001 or in 2002. Huicosha went to AC Milan from Fiorentina in 2001 before that. And he said the only reason Nuno Gomes came back to Benfica is because, and he's right, is because Fiorentina defaulted. They they went bankrupt. And Nuno Gomes, even in his in talking to Benfica Independent during the their series of interviews during the pandemic, during the worst portions of the pandemic, the lockdowns, he he revealed to Benfica Nation that uh Gomes that is that as soon as he was gonna be released from his contract with Fiorentina, Porto showed up at his showed up at his house in 
in Italy, and, and they wanted to sign him, and he had told them he had already told Benfica that the moment he was available, he would talk to them first. And thus, thus uh, Nuno Gomes returned. Rui Costa had been sold one year earlier, and he pointed out for 43 million euros, and he correctly said, you think Benfica had 43 million euros in 2001. Obviously, they did not. This was... It's, this was in, in in the worst of times. This was, you know, 12 months after João Pinto had been released, essentially. Been told he wasn't, he, we couldn't keep him anymore. So he got kind of the same message, that, but in a much nastier way that Lionel Messi got from Barcelona. Um, you know, saying we can't afford you, essentially. Except he was actually, you know, released Whereas Lionel Messi, you know, found another place to play. Um, so I'm losing my concentration here. It's been a long show. But all in all, I was disappointed with this debate because I don't think it was the table it should have been to to discuss ideas. And maybe I have the wrong idea of what a debate is, but I really think society has just gotten so uncultured and just become so simplistic and so tribal in nature that we just turn debates into a bo- into a verbal boxing match at the end of the day there were there was more there was more that was said but again the important thing is that there was a debate the important thing is that uh benitez was given Time on BTV. It wasn't. It was an hour, but it's time. It, it's important that he was given a platform. It's important that the club's channel acknowledge that there's even an election and that there's two candidates. And they told us here's where they have different opposing views. The best thing to come out of it for me is, and I felt relieved knowing both candidates support term limits. Again, I'm big on term limits. You cannot allow someone to to be there forever. I don't want Pinto da Costa. Porto fans know deep down he will be president until the day he dies. He has surpassed the point to where anyone will seriously threaten to oust him. I don't want that for our club. I want fresh ideas coming in. I want I don't want someone surrounded by people they handpicked for years and just keep replacing handpicked people and that become more and more loyal to that person. The loyalty needs to be to the club and not to the president. They disagree on the term limit. Okay, there's a slight disagreement. Benitez believes it should be a two-term limit and these are four-year terms and Rui Costa believes it should be a 12. That's probably because Rui Costa is right now in his early 50s, I want to say. Rui Costa, um, he, I want to say he's 51 or 52. I'm double-checking that now. But um, my guess is 12 years is about how much longer he wants to be working. <laughs> and then he wants to retire. So let's see here. He's, oh, he's 49 years old. Okay, so Rui Costa is 49. 12 years from now, he'll be 61. And he will... He'll probably want to go 
right off into the sunset and live his best life and uh, be done working. And, and I totally respect that. But I think that's the only reason he supports a 12-year, uh, you know, three-term limit. But the fact that they both want term limits is a good thing. And the fact that they both have to declare where they stand on certain things is a good thing. So now, listen, Benitez is not going to win, and I don't believe that he believed he was going to win at any point. I think he did what he felt was right, and I think he needs to be commended for running and for putting himself out there for the abuse he's getting because he knows that nobody should ever run out unopposed. How can you have an election one year ago with the highest turnout ever have that president removed you can call it what you want you can say he resigned he was forced out let's be honest okay he was incapable of fulfilling his duties how can uh, that happen and then the successor run unopposed after all that we have fought for okay for after all that especially the guys, the the guys and girls, the sausage on the ground in in and around the club, getting the signatures to get the the AG, to get the general assembly, okay, to force this election. How pathetic would it have looked if the interim president, that's being disputed by some, um, as not being you know part you know not following the statutes which still needs to be discussed and hashed out. The statutes need to literally be one by one hashed out and clarified also. Um, But how pathetic would it have looked if he ran unopposed after all this? So my hat's off to, to Francisco Benitez for that. He did a service to the club because he made Rui Costa, you know, and, and Rui Costa agreed to this probably because he knew he was going to win. Okay, Once João Neronio Lopes did not run, I think Rui Costa felt fine debating. Um, I think that Benitez filled a hole that needed to be filled. He did something for the good of the club and not for his own personal good. And that should be commended. Because now we have a list of things to hold Huikosh accountable to. And he says he's going to be transparent and accountable. Um, they're talking about audits. You know, they, they argued back and forth about audits, but, you know, the, the transparency in them. A lot of jargon back and forth. But at the end of the day, I think Benfica will be better for having had this. I know not everyone agrees with me. Some people believe this was a, a waste of time. Some people are adamantly voting what they say in Portuguese aim Branco blank um there was also the issue that that Benitez did not reveal who the football people are in his you know in his committee in his team and he said he would reveal that after the election and Huikasha correctly points out so you're asking for a blank check from the Sausage without knowing who you have you know supporting you and uh, another good point. He was better prepared for the debate at the end of the day. That uh, does not mean he'd be the better president. That does not mean that he wouldn't be the better president, okay? At the end of the day, um, I think Befica will be better in the long run because these these very small steps were taken. 
Um, I fully expect Rui Costa to win by eight, with a vote of 80% or even better. If he gets less than 80%, I think that's a victory, a small victory, moral victory for the opposition. So we'll see what happens. Um, my original plan was to record again tomorrow when the results came out. And then I remember how late they were. They came out a year ago. And I really don't, in this time, I believe they're going to certify with a hand count afterwards. So I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get a certified result. But in episode 128, we will, we will talk about, um, sorry, this is 128 in episode 129. We will talk about uh, the fallout from the election and where we go from here. All right. It's been almost two hours. Sorry to keep you so long. It's been more than two hours, actually. I'm going to go. It is late here, and I have to be at work in about five hours, so I'm going to try to get a little sleep here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me through this whole thing. Um, I hope some of this was informative. Um, Please don't judge me on my analysis of of the points and of the of the stances of the two candidates okay i'm not telling you who's right who's wrong i'm not telling you who to vote for i will not do that you vote for who you believe should you should vote for most of you probably will have already voted by the time you listen to this um so may the best man win and um i just hope it's a fair and transparent election And I hope the club moves forward, and hopefully we don't have to talk about this again next year. That is my other hope. Uh, Some people are predicting we'll be in the same exact space one year from now talking about another forced election. Hopefully not. All right, enjoy the weekend. Um, International break, as you know. So if if you're not into that, enjoy the time off. If you're into it, enjoy the football. But don't forget the women's team does play uh, Saturday. And uh, don't forget the Motolidats. All right. They need our support as well. They are Benfica. They are just as much Benfica as anyone else and as any other team. So that's going to do it. This is the Mr. Mike Agustinio signing off. I'll see you next time here on Mr. Benfica on the PTB Media Network. Mm-hmm.